Dr. Ronald Goldenberg is a consultant endocrinologist affiliated with LMC Diabetes and Endocrinology in Vaughan. He completed his residency in internal medicine in 1987 at the University of Toronto and his fellowship in endocrinology and metabolism in 1989 at the University of Toronto. Dr. Goldenberg has been an investigator in a wide array of clinical trials in the areas of diabetes, hypertension, obesity, and dyslipidemia. He has been actively involved in continuing medical education for the last three decades with a strong focus on translating evidence-based medicine into practical patient care. Dr. Goldenberg is a past medical director of the Diabetes Education Centre at North York General Hospital and North York Branson Hospital. He's a past chair of the Ontario Medical Association section on endocrinology and metabolism and a previous president of the Toronto Diabetes Association. Recently, Dr. Goldenberg became an emergent knee surgery patient where he was able to use a light version of SeamlessMD for his surgery recovery care. Ron, Dr. Goldenberg, welcome to the show. Yeah, hi, Alan. Hi, Joshua. Thanks for having me. Amazing. So, Ron, your story is quite unique. Being an endocrinologist and then turning it into a patient for a knee surgery is obviously a, a unique experience. Uh, and one that doesn't happen quite so often, but it does actually happen. So maybe starting the conversation there, uh, we're curious, you know, what caused this knee surgery and what, what happened? When, when did it happen? Yeah, so Alan, on uh, December the 29th, I became a patient. I was hiking on a icy hiking trail in Caledon and had completed about 10 kilometers. And with about 500 meters left, I guess I hit a patch of ice and I fell in an awkward fashion. I felt a shooting pain in my right knee and uh, the top line summary is that I ended up rupturing my right patellar tendon, mm -hmm. uh, an injury that usually occurs in 30 year olds, I'm 61. And uh, I ended up in surgery by January the 2nd as a, as a patient. And Rana, I'm curious, um, and I apologize for going off script from the questions, but, um, I think one of the unique things um, when you end up becoming a patient is that uh, I, I feel as if you, you often probably notice a lot of, let's call it inefficiencies in the healthcare system or, or problems that as a provider, often maybe we just miss because we're so focused on, on patient care that we don't see all the problems going around us. As a patient going through that, that journey before and after surgery, did you pick up on, on any items where you're wondering, gosh, like this is, why is it this way? And as a provider, you, maybe you would have missed those things. So yeah, it's a great Common. I mean, as a physician with a type A personality, like most of us, um, uh, I expect perfection in what I do and when people deliver care to me. And I was put in the unique position as being a, a patient, unfortunately. Uh, but I must say, from uh, the visit to the emergency room uh, through to the fracture clinic a couple days later, and then my surgical procedure and even my post-op care, I've been very, very impressed with the whole uh, system. Uh, everybody's been efficient uh, and really, I think, provided a state-of-the-art care for me. And uh, being COVID times, I was, I was concerned. I was concerned about potential delays in care because the hospitals are all overwhelmed. I was concerned about perhaps needing a hospital admission and Nowadays, if you can avoid hospital admission because of COVID, that's better. And as it turned out, uh, I was treated in a timely fashion. I never needed a hospital admission. It was outpatient surgery. And uh, I was uh, actually quite pleased. And this is coming from somebody who's often quite critical of the medical care. Actually, Ron, I was wondering as well, I mean, as, as a clinician, um, 
as you know, there's a lot of information, but also misinformation about COVID out there. And did you feel as if from the clinical point of view, because you can actually interpret the literature and the evidence, let's call it properly compared to an, an average person who isn't as you know, medical literate, did you feel as if you were more anxious, more concerned, less anxious, less concerned about having surgery at this time? So I was, I was anxious probably more than the average person because, um, you know, I know the hospitals are overwhelmed. I hear stories from my colleagues that work in the emergency room and the intensive care units. And uh, I was really concerned going to the emergency room, how much of a delay there would be from the time I get seen to ultimately my operation. And I was really anxious about being admitted to hospital. My impression was that most people stay overnight for this operation. And I was quite pleased when I was told that I can be in and out. So I actually went into hospital at 2 p.m. on my day of surgery and I was home by 8 p.m. It was a wow. quick, quick turnaround. And so mm -hmm. while I was anxious beforehand, it actually turned out uh, quite, quite favorable. Mm -hmm. uh, and Ron, where, where did you get your surgery done? Uh, I had it at North Carolina General Hospital. Uh, okay. a, a, I live very close there, and B, that's the hospital I've been affiliated for the last 30 years or so. Yeah. And uh, so that just made the most sense for me. Yeah. You know, Ron, that's a, that's a positive sign because if you told us that uh, you wanted to avoid the hospital that, that you that you uh, worked at, yeah. you can start, well, what's the care like there? But the fact that, that you actually got your surgery there means that you're confident in the care there. So that, that's, that's frankly a positive sign. So, yes, I think so. that would be North Carolina General. For sure. Yeah. Uh, now, Ron, this this was a, a unique case because your hospital was not the hospital giving out the app. They they weren't the ones giving Seamless MD to you. You actually have a, a son-in-law who works at Seamless MD, so we were able to um, basically provide you a knee surgery replacement um, version of Seamless MD. So it's it's closely related to the patellar tear, but obviously not quite the same. So given that the hospital wasn't the one supplying the program, they weren't able to monitor you, you were more using the application for self-management and education. How did that affect the value of the experience of the, of the app for you and or your surgery? Sure, so um, and as you said, I have a family connection. So that's uh, why I started using the Seamless MD uh, app uh, uh, for probably a couple of reasons. Uh, a, as a physician, I was interested in what my son-in-law does for a living. And uh, I had heard it, uh, what he does, but I hadn't seen it in action. And so we agreed that why not, as on the patient side, take a look at the program. And uh, yeah, so it was kind of a, a pseudo case because I basically was registered as a patient and downloaded the app and registered. And uh, I received all the different materials uh, on a daily basis by email. Uh, more focused on knee replacement, but I must say that there is a lot of overlap between the surgery I had and the care that would be needed after uh, patellar uh, tendon surgery. And so a lot of it was uh, very, very relevant to my care. And honestly, it was like uh, having my own little personal nurse in my pocket just to guide me through the uh, post-op recovery. And, uh, and even now, as I'm getting better and better and uh, returning to functioning, uh, just having that regular uh, follow-up on a daily basis, I found it to be uh, quite uh, beneficial. So for example, there's this daily health check that you get by uh, email and you click on the link and 
you answer questions on a daily basis to rank your mood or anxiety, uh, your level of pain, uh, how your wound is healing. Uh, uh, have you started physiotherapy or any exercises? And uh, it, it was useful just to uh, follow my own progress because uh, it's uh, nice to think about it on a daily basis. And uh, my recovery has been very fast. So my first 24 hours was like terrible, lots of pain, uh, swallowing a lot of narcotics. And, you know, within three to four days, I was completely off pain medication. So there was a rapid change in recovery. And it was nice to see that uh, progress charted on the seamless MD. Uh, uh, you can actually uh, look at a chart that compares your score for pain and uh, your mood on a day-to-day -day basis. And I found that it, uh, interesting. And by the way, it is it is quite seamless to use. So I like yeah. to make your uh, company. Uh, Ron, um, I was wondering, um, was there ever a situation when you were using um, the Seamless app where because of the, the education or the feedback you got in the application, you felt that you can uh, manage an issue, you know, at home through self-care as opposed to maybe call in, calling the surgeon's office or, or someone else? Did that ever come up where you were able to avoid a, a call or, or a visit? Um, not really, because I, I really, I had a really unremarkable course with no major issues. Um, I had the first night a lot of pain and it turned out that the tensor bandage was too tight because it was pulling down the patella that had risen for a few days and um, I just had to get approval from the surgeon to remove the tensor bandage because there was a surgical bandage underneath right. and so that uh, probably couldn't have been handled on the app uh, because to remove a bandage applied by the surgeon I don't think the app was going to be instructive and other than that I went for my two-week follow-up as planned and uh, uh, but it was more the you know the day-to-day -day reassurance that the app uh, uh, gives you it, it, it talks about it reassures you that you know it's not unusual to have pain and swelling and what you can do for pain and swelling with icing routine uh, there's a series of exercises that you can pull up that were more focused on knee replacement which is a little bit different than what I had but along with my own reading and the material I was given by my uh, surgeon I could use some of the material related to the exercises I'm allowed to do for my uh, uh, my procedure. And uh, the other thing that's really nice on the uh, app is this, I think they call it an education library, which has really a wealth of information in one space. And so while, you know, maybe you could do an internet search on your own and find some of these things, it's nice to know you have one space that you can find the information that's relevant to your case. Mm -hmm. And presumably the most accurate information as well as provided by the hospital. Um, I, I was actually curious about that point, Ron. We typically have two types of patients. There's the first type that they don't really dive into the education library. They just wait for the prompts and the, the education to be emailed and kind of follow along like that. And then we have the, uh, the other kind of patient that wants to know everything that they can and they want to, you know, dive through the education library and read on you know, every point that might come up in their, their recovery period. Given that you're a physician first, um, did you find that education library a useful resource where you were actually taking time and, and reading on different topics that were in the, the education library? So I, I checked it out largely for curiosity because uh, 
one of the reasons I did this was to just provide some feedback uh, to my son-in-law and the company. And, uh, but uh, I was interested as a patient as well to see what other people are, are reading and what information uh, uh, is there. And I must say that um, a lot of it is very uh, useful, very simple, uh, easy to access. And I think the bottom line for Seamless MD is individuals will get out of it what they want out of it. So if they just want to click on the daily health check and do that and not explore other things that are available on the platform, that may be good for them. If they want more information and especially those that are more into their self-care and really want to uh, push themselves to get better quicker, they may use more of the uh, parts that are on the education library, et cetera. So it's nice that you can kind of have this available and, and people will use it in their, in their own way. So, so Ron, I thought maybe this would be a good segue. Um, you know, we talked a lot about your journey as a patient and, and you know, the experience was seamless, but, but certainly we also wanted to dive into uh, your practice right now and, and what that's been like uh, having to manage your practice and support your patients during, I guess, the past year of COVID. What's been different for, for patient care for you, particularly in terms of leveraging digital to, to support patients? Yeah, so as, as you know, uh, the whole model of medical care has changed since March of 2020 during the first lockdown. Mm -hmm. I've been in practice over 30 years as an endocrinologist who focuses mainly on diabetes. And up until March, 2020 had done zero virtual care. Our, the way we practice uh, our practice and our models of care really weren't set up for virtual care. In fact, we didn't even have billing codes to uh, uh, bill for services that were provided uh, virtually. Uh, but because of the lockdown, uh, uh, the powers that be recognized that if medical care is going to continue, there has to be the allowance for virtual care. And so I rapidly, uh, along with many of my colleagues from March through July, switched to basically 100% virtual care mm -hmm. from uh, home. So I went from doing zero virtual care to 100% of my uh, visits were done virtually. And then by July, as the first wave kind of died down, I started doing a, mo a blended model of about 50% virtual and 50% live visits in my clinic. And I continued that until the end of 2020. Uh, then I had this uh, accident uh, right at the end of 2020. And uh, fortunately, I was already set up to provide virtual care because it was much easier for me to recover from home because of my limited mobility it was, I took basically a week off to uh, get through that first week of recovery. And now I'm back to providing 100% uh, virtual uh, uh, care. So that transition was quite easy for me. And it just so happens this is during the peak of the second wave of COVID. And so I'm actually happy to be back to uh, virtual care. And I'll tell you, our patients are very happy with virtual yeah. care. Uh, a, it's very convenient for them uh, to uh, attend a follow-up visit as a busy clinic where you uh, sit in the waiting room for like an hour and then you get seen for like 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. it's such a waste of time. Whereas for a quick 10 or 15 minute follow-up virtually, it's more efficient for everybody. Mm -hmm. And in COVID times, just to take away that fear of being exposed to this virus in a doctor's clinic uh, really is favored by our uh, patients. So mm -hmm. uh, I think virtual care is here to stay uh, in, many areas of medicine and uh, 
that's probably one of the good things out of this pandemic because if mm -hmm. it hadn't happened, probably virtual care would have come along, but it would have been much more delayed and integrated in a much slower, uh, slower fashion. So Ron, there are definitely a lot of interesting uh, things you brought up that, that I'd love to, uh, to unpack with you. So, so one question I had was, you, you mentioned how part of the challenge at the beginning of the pandemic with virtual care was that the, the billing codes weren't up to speed. And I think one of the things that, that we've seen in, in Canadian healthcare is that, um, you know, incentives frankly do matter. Incentives drive behavior and, and make the, the healthcare system run. And so, um, I mean, all the time, I think um, in, you know, history and going to the future, as new technologies come along, as new models of care come along, the current billing model system will always kind of be behind, right? Until there's a new code, a new code, a new code. Um, do, do you have any opinions on that in terms of, you know, some people would say, well, we just have to get new codes faster. Some would say, well, maybe we should have a different, you know, reimbursement model. So that way, you know, even if new technology or models of care come along, as long as the reimbursement model can account for that change, maybe something more value-based or something else, we don't have to wait for the next code. Um, any opinions on on how we can make sure that the funding model keeps up with new technologies like virtual care going forward? Yeah, I mean, the uh, reimbursement and billing is a very complex uh, issue. There are many different opinions on that, but my feeling is that uh, the reimbursement models, whichever one people are involved with, have to kind of match modern medical practice. And uh, fortunately, last March, at least uh, governments uh, recognize that there's been a rapid switch over to virtual care and they rapidly brought in billing codes. In retrospect, it would have been nice to have these options for many years in the past because a lot of what we do as physicians uh, can be quick visits over the phone or on a video chat that you don't necessarily have to be hands-on. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think we learned that much in this past year, even though we knew it mm -hmm. years in the past. And so whether you're, you know, a salaried physician or fee-for-service, um, I think the reimbursement has to recognize uh, the current models of practice. I'm curious, Ron, from your colleagues who, you know, may have, let's say, been more salary as opposed to, to fee-for-service, did you find that they were, you know, already doing more virtual with patients because, let's say, they weren't, a, they didn't have to worry about the billing code? Or did you find that actually patients were expecting in-person before COVID? So even if someone was salary, they still weren't, weren't doing much virtual in the first place. Um, what was your sense of what, of what that was like even before COVID? So generally no matter how you were reimbursed, there was very little virtual care before the pandemic hit, unless you were a physician who provided a lot, a lot of care to remote communities right. uh, where they did connect virtually. The old traditional model of seeing people in a clinic or an office live was the standard. And uh, obviously that has rapidly shifted. And now whether you're a fee-for-service physician or a hospital-based salaried uh, clinician, uh, all, all have switched over to at least some degree of virtual care. Now it does vary by specialty because obviously some specialties need that hands-on uh, care. I mean, obviously if you're an ophthalmologist, you can't examine someone's eyes virtually. Uh, yeah. But many, but many 
specialties and certainly primary care uh, can fit into the virtual uh, virtual model. I think that's fascinating because so that clearly even for certain specialties or, or physicians who maybe didn't need to have a billing code, the expectation around a virtual visit wasn't really um, prevalent enough even before COVID that patients and providers were, were doing them. Um, so that was kind of interesting. I was curious um, from your perspective, from, from endocrinology and diabetes care, um, when you started doing more virtual and in, at some points 100% virtual, um, if there were any major trade-offs, um, positive or, or, or negative perhaps in terms of having less in person. I'll give you an example. So I think in, in the surgical world, the trade-offs for having more virtual visits or remote monitoring through something like Seamless has been positive. So we have a lot of, you know, surgeons and surgical nurses who would say, well, it's great that I can just monitor the patient's incision on Seamless and avoid, a, frankly, a post-op visit entirely because if the incision is doing well and their pain is controlled, we really don't have to even see them face-to-face perhaps, right? Let alone make them come in for that face-to-face. Um, but sometimes in, in medicine, you might still have some physical exams or other things that you, you, you mentioned ophthalmology, but I mean, in diabetes care, you might, you, you might want a patient seeing a nurse for a diabetes foot check or something else. So I was curious, were there some parts of the practice that you, you really can't replace with, with, um, with virtual or how did you kind of decide what you could replace when you couldn't? Sure. So um, obviously you can't do a physical examination uh, virtually, but you can, uh, often assess people virtually without a physical exam. So I've had people uh, take photographs of the part of the body they're concerned about and send it to me by email, or uh, if we do a video chat, they try to just hold the camera to the area they're interested in, Uh, but not quite the same as a hands-on physical exam. But uh, using technology has been very advantageous uh, in my specialty for, go into virtual care. So for example, I do mainly diabetes and all my patients monitor their blood glucose at home. Uh, Glucose meters, whether you're doing uh, finger pricks or you're using some sort of continuous glucose monitor can all connect to the cloud. And we can log into somebody's account and basically get a beautiful snapshot of their blood sugars and these nice reports of their average sugar over the past few months, how often they're in a good range, how often they're out of range. And uh, patients love that because we're speaking to them virtually, yet it's almost like we have their glucose meter in hand. And uh, in the past, we would usually look at their meter in the office, right, when they come in live, but now we do it uh, virtually. And so we connect all our patients Uh, to the internet and their devices and provide really state-of-the-art care. A little bit challenging for the very elderly people who are not so much technology savvy, but even in those cases, we often can get a son or a daughter to assist them. And so that's working out uh, quite well. And again, it's one of the positive things uh, out of the uh, pandemic that uh, we've learned and will continue to provide this kind of care moving forward. So, so um, and I'll, I'll call you Dr. Goldenberg for this question because it's more about your work as a physician. So one of the interesting things that we've seen in the, the US market as, as more and more providers and health systems have gone virtual and, and digital is that um, they view technology as a way to um, grow, let's call it their um, 
patient market share, a term you wouldn't hear in Canada, but you would hear in the US. And so you have organizations who maybe in the past, because they're based out of New York, they were really focused on supporting patients in New York. But with technology, they're saying, well, gosh, I could do visits for patients in Florida or, or monitor patients you know, from California. I was curious, I know Canada is different on, on, in, in, that, in that context, um, but in terms of patients having access to a, a, let's say a diabetes center of excellence like yours at Northrop General, um, since the pandemic started, have you seen more patients being treated by your, your center um, from further away than before? So patients who maybe otherwise would have said, well, I'm too far away from Northrop General, I can't even be a patient there. Now they're saying, you know what, if we can do more virtual, I'd love to be a patient in Northrop General. Have you seen that happen in the past? Um, you're? Actually, actually, yes, uh, because I've been in practice 30 years, I have patients in wide geographical areas. Sometimes they started and lived near my office and then they've moved elsewhere. Right. And uh, so I've had interactions with patients in Eastern Canada virtually. Um, I just spoke to one a couple days ago in Moncton. And uh, I've had a few patients during the first lockdown that were stranded out of the country. So oh, I, wow. I happened to be booked to see me in a follow-up and uh, their first knee-jerk reaction was to cancel the appointment and wait till they got mm -hmm. back. But my office told them, you know, we're now set up for virtual care. Mm -hmm. The doctor can speak to you. So I had patients I spoke to in the United Kingdom, in Asia, and all over the mm -hmm. world. And uh, they loved it because they could keep their regular follow-up with me. And uh, even though they were stranded out of the, out of the country. And so uh, that was kind of forced on us and we did it. But I think moving forward, I can envision uh, if somebody's in another city or another country and they want to access a certain center or a certain specialist, sure, why not? If we can do it virtually, it's uh, definitely uh, accessible. You know, one of the things that, that we're seeing, and I'm sure you're seeing this a lot, Dr. Godenberg, is there are a lot of these, let's call them telemedicine marketplaces and companies popping up. And one of the challenges with these, these companies, yes, maybe you can get immediate convenient access for, for urgent care, but for a lot of care that requires relationship, requires ongoing context, diabetes care is probably a good one. You know, I, I, as a patient, you probably don't want 20 different endocrinologists treating you for your diabetes care. Um, any thoughts on kind of how that landscape is changing here? Anything that you think is positive happening in this new landscape or concerns you'd have about the impact on, on patient care? I'd love to get, get your opinion on, on this topic. That's a valid point. I mean, nothing replaces regular uh, follow-up. And I mean, there is this uh, physician-patient relationship that builds over time. And uh, if you know your patient medically and even personally, I think you provide better uh, care. So there's this kind of controversy about the care our patients are getting when they go to walk-in clinics or they see a different physician every time. They're just kind of putting out fires and emergency, but they're not really aware of their ongoing needs or uh, their complex medical uh, histories. And so I think uh, ongoing uh, follow-up with a consistent provider is very much important. And again, technology allows that uh, because if a patient moves elsewhere, they could probably keep the same uh, clinic or healthcare uh, provider really wherever they are. And uh, the nice thing about the seamless app just to go back so that is you do that, that continuity. And like I said earlier, it's like having my own personal nurse in my pocket. Mm. You have that day-to-day -day interaction uh, with the app. And so you're getting that continuous uh, follow-up and uh, these nice uh, progress charts that show your progress day-to-day. Uh, -day. And so, 
even though it's technology, it's, it's kind of replacing that uh, hands-on uh, follow-up that you would get by a healthcare practitioner like a nurse, for example. Mm -hmm. And on that note, Dr. Godenberg, um, from, from having experienced CMLS as, as a patient, when you think about how this could help um, a diabetes patient or, or help you, your center care for uh, your patients, are there certain aspects of the platform that you feel would be most beneficial when applied to, to your, your patient population? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I think seamless MD could be adapted to almost all therapeutic areas if it's uh, modified uh, appropriately. And so like right now, I'm very actively involved in diabetes education for our patients, uh, both after the initial diagnosis and uh, really at every visit, we're educating our, our patient about their disease and how to uh, teach them to provide optimal self-management. And a, a lot of that can be done using uh, technology. And so I could envision uh, something on Seamless uh, that provides feedback and regular information to individuals with diabetes, uh, encouraging them to monitor their blood glucose as recommended by their healthcare team, how to interpret those results, uh, adjusting therapies like insulin dosing, uh, watching for complications of their disease that they have to be aware of. And uh, certainly a lot of that could be provided uh, with an app or logging in to uh, a database of information, I think would be very, very helpful to our patients. And more and more uh, patients are becoming tech savvy and not even just the younger people, even the older generation is uh, uh, very much uh, involved with the internet and technology and even more so since COVID because everybody's locked down and the only way they can communicate with family and friends is using uh, technology. And so I think uh, there's a huge opportunity in many therapeutic areas and definitely in my space, which is diabetes uh, for such technology. And, and maybe to, to kind of wrap up on the, the CMOS MD part of the podcast, um, we just have to ask Dr. Goldenberg, would you recommend CMOS MD to other patients going through a surgery? Uh, absolutely. I, mean, I just can't see why they wouldn't want to use it. It's very uh, simple, practical. Uh, people will get out of it what they want to get out of it. But uh, I think uh, I would highly recommend it for, uh, you know, anybody going through a surgical procedure that uh, wants to track their progress, especially for those that are more self-motivated to uh, get state-of-the-art care. So yeah, I would highly recommend it to patients and my uh, colleagues and definitely my surgical colleagues that are not using it. I just uh, think it assists them to provide state-of-the-art care to their patients. Amazing. And and Dr. Goldenberg, for the record, we have not paid you to say that. Is, is that correct? No, no, no. Like I said <laughs> at the beginning, I have a family connection to the company. My uh, son-in-law is a new employee. And uh, no, I'm definitely not uh, paid to speak to you today. <laughs> well, on a related note, Dr. Godenberg, um, and, and by the way, we won't be offended, but had you heard of Seamless MD before, uh, before Jordan mentioned us uh, to you? Actually, no, I hadn't. Uh, again, I'm not involved much in the surgical space. And so I hadn't really uh, uh, heard about it as soon as uh, Jordan told me about it. Obviously, we checked out the website. He told us a lot, a lot about it. 
All right. We, we, we got to get the word out, Alan, and we got to get yeah. the word out. <laughs> Hopefully this podcast will help. That's fantastic. So um, Dr. Goldenberg, at, at this point in the podcast, we like to kind of flip over to what we call the fast five or the lightning round. Um, it's basically five questions that just get to know you a little bit better for our audience. Um, okay. And you can answer them as quickly as you'd like or, or as slowly as you'd like. Um, so the first question we have is, do you have a favorite book or book you've gifted the most? So my favorite book of all time is uh, called The House of God. I'm sure Joshua is aware of it. Um, this is a kind of a hilarious account of the healthcare system. Uh, and uh, it's almost a rite of passage for anybody that becomes a physician. And uh, I think it's an incredible read for anybody involved in healthcare, but even non-healthcare providers would find it a kind of an eye-opening uh, uh into the world of medicine definitely um awesome so second question um do you have a favorite movie or tv show so there's a lot of them but the one that comes to mind is a foreign film called lives of others it was a <laughs> german film that i think won best foreign uh film in the oscars back in 2006 or so uh probably the best ending of any movie I have ever encountered. And so uh, uh, I would really encourage listeners, especially if you like foreign movies, to check uh, out lives of others. Yeah, it's a great movie. Uh, question three, this is healthcare related. What is something in healthcare you believe that others might find insane? Okay, so like kind of along the lines of what we were talking today, what boggles my mind is that there's no integrated healthcare record. Uh, we, every patient has their own record at their different specialists, their primary care provider, the hospital they go to, but there's no integrated healthcare record that can be easily accessed by anybody trying to find out information about that patient. Mm -hmm. And modern technology, I just don't understand why that hasn't uh, happened uh, because it will improve care because mm -hmm. uh, you know, things get missed if you don't have a full snapshot of a patient's medical history. And uh, hopefully that will come sooner than later. But um, I find it a bit disturbing that as we're speaking today, that doesn't really exist. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Uh, question four is a, a rather wacky one, but would you rather have super strength, super speed, or the ability to read people's minds? That's a good one. I haven't heard that question before. Um, I would say read people's minds mm. because uh, if you can know what somebody's uh, thinking in advance, well, then the other two don't matter because uh, if, if somebody's faster than you, but you know where they're going, you can probably uh, do mm. something by uh, knowing what they're thinking and where they're going. And uh, the same thing with strength, with, uh, uh, if you know what somebody's thinking or doing at the time, I don't think the strength really matters. So reading minds would be very, very interesting. It's also, yeah. uh, you could train to be stronger or you could uh, do more Fair, cardio. Yeah. But uh, reading people's minds is something that probably you can't train yourself. To. That's, right. a, that's a very that's good a valid point. point. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, all right, last question that we have. This one is COVID-19 related. Uh, what is one hobby or activity you've gotten into since the beginning of the pandemic? 
And, and you can't say virtual care. It has to be something. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, many people with the lockdown have tried to explore things they haven't been involved in in the past. And uh, I kind of got into some poetry. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. Into my artistic side. So uh, I wrote a, a poem uh, about the COVID-19 uh, pandemic and how it affects us all uh, called The Lost Generation. And I posted it on YouTube a few months oh, wow. ago. I've kind of dabbled in a little, a little other poetry, and I had never done any poetry prior to COVID. So amazing! Wow. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely link to that. That's great. All right, so Dr. Goldenberg, that's the uh, that's the show that we had today. Those are all the questions. Um, I don't know if Josh has other questions on his mind, but um, I do want to just thank you for being on the show today. The insights that you've had, first as a, a patient, but more as a, a physician and, and your practice and how you've moved to virtual care and how you've adapted uh, based on the, the current situation of the world. It's been a, a delight talking with you and I'm, I'm certain that our, our audience will find it enlightening as well. So thank you so much. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Um, unfortunately, I became a patient, but hopefully my insight will be helpful to some of your listeners. This is fantastic. Thank you so much, Dr. Goldenberg and all the best in 2021. Yeah, thank you. Good luck to you.